You're listening to The RN Mentor, a podcast designed to document and bring you the work and experience of some of the most influential nurses in our profession. We will be sitting down and having a discussion with the leaders of today's nursing world as they share their work, how they navigate their nursing path, and their views on the future of the profession. My name is Ali Tayeb. I am a registered nurse, United States Navy veteran, a Jonas Veterans Healthcare Scholar, and your host for The RN Mentor. Welcome to another podcast of the RN Mentor. Uh, I am so excited to be joined today by Dr. Polly Joseph. Uh, She is a 2019 Lasker Scholar and National Institute of Health Distinguished Scholar. She is Chief of the Section of Sensory Science and Metabolism in Division and Intramural Clinical and Biological Research at the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism with a dual appointment at the National Institute of Nursing Research. Prior to her tenure-track position, she was an assistant clinical investigator at NINR. Dr. Joseph received an AAS in nursing at Justos Community College, a BSN from the College of New Rochelle, and a Master's of Science with a specialty as a family nurse practitioner from Pace University. She completed her PhD from the University of Pennsylvania and conducted her PhD work at the Monell Chemical Census Center. She then completed a workforce diversity clinical and translational postdoctoral fellowship at NINR. Dr. Joseph has received several awards, including the highly competitive Johnson & Johnson American Association of Colleges of Nursing's Minority Nurse Faculty Scholarship, the Rockefeller University Hilbrun Nurse Scholar Award. Last year, she was selected by the National Minority Quality Forum as one of 2020's 40 under 40 leaders in minority health and National Association of Hispanic Nurses 40 under 40 award winner. She is a fellow of the American Academy of Nursing, a fellow of the New York Academy of Medicine, and a fellow of the Transcultural Nursing Society. Dr. Joseph also currently serves as vice president of the Amazing Grace Children's Foundation based in Ghana. She also mentors and trains students and junior faculty from underrepresented backgrounds. Additionally, she serves as the director of mentorship for for the African Research Academy for Women. Welcome to the show, Dr. Joseph. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the kind introduction. Uh, well, you know, you know, I'm, I, 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 and I have to, I have to say this to all of our listeners. Her actual full bio is on the website. She's, she has accomplished so much more, but for timing purposes, <laughs> I shortened it for the podcast. But there's so much more that you are engaged with, and I hope everybody takes the opportunity to go to the website and actually read your full bio and the links and the work that you're doing because I find it amazing. I saw the 40 under 40. I'm hoping that at some point in my career, maybe I can do like top 60 under 60 <laughs> or if, if that's a category still or if it'll, it will be by the time I'm, I, I get to that point. Uh, but you're, you're very well accomplished and I appreciate the work that you're doing. And I'm so happy that you had an opportunity to sit down with me so we can share your career path and the work that you're doing with, uh, with, with our listeners. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you so much. I'm excited. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll get started with, uh, with uh, like I said, how I always start my podcast is, uh, how did you get started in the world of nursing? What was the driver for you to get into the world of nursing? So it's, um, I'll make a long story short. Um, so my mom is a nurse. And so just to give you a little bit of background. So I was born and raised in Venezuela. My parents are Haitian and they've been living in Venezuela for over 40 years. Uh, my mom is a nurse since Haiti and she came to Venezuela and she always was that person in the neighborhood helping everybody. So you know, I think growing up, I was like, you know, like you rebel a little bit and you're like, 
I'm not going to be like my parents. So I, it's funny enough. I was like, I'm not going to be a nurse and I'm not going to be, a, you know, my dad is a teacher. So I was like, I'm not going to be a teacher. And here I am <laughs> as an academic doing both and being a clinician and practicing. But, um, you know, although I was doing that as a young age, but I think embedded in me was always that example of my mom of helping people. And I wanted to do that. So, you know, fast forward, I finished high school in Venezuela and I came to the U S to do, um, to study. And I went first to the, to the community college, you know, as an immigrant, sometimes we need to make certain decisions that are, uh, can be adjusted based on our financial status at the time. And, you know, and it, it, it made sense um, for me at the time to start win, doing an associate degree in nursing. And I, you know, and I chose to be a nurse. I, I just, you know, love what everything the nursing represents and everything we can do as a nurse. And having that early example and then also coming to the U.S. and seeing the broad um, areas where nurses, um, were practicing was really, um, you know, intriguing to me. And I think as someone that likes change and diversity in different areas, it was like a no brainer. So it was like a combination of the ability to deal with change and kind of have, you know, flexibility in exploring what it is that you really want to do within the healthcare system but also having the ability to contribute. And also, like, one of the things that I just love about nursing is that, you know, whether I am in the U.S., I'm back in Venezuela, I'm in Haiti, I'm in Africa, I can help people. I can just help people. I can just use my nursing skills. And, you know, and that, to me, has been a great blessing. That's incredible. Um, now you mentioned you went into an associate's degree program. Uh, what was your motivation to go beyond that? Because I know we have, uh, nursing is one of those, uh, um, professions that has many pathways. Um, so what was your motivation to go beyond that? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, when I was doing the associate degree program at Hostos, um, you know, I was one, I, I wanted to do more. I knew that, um, you know, there were different paths of entries into nursing. And although I had chosen, you know, to do the associate degree based on the condition of, of the conditions that I was in at that time. Um, but I also saw the examples of the professors I had, you know, and seeing that, oh, the, the director of the program has a PhD. How do you get there? You know, and seeing how the other professors had different, you know, they had master's degree and so on and so forth. And, you know, and also understanding that I, I wanted to also, you know, move forward in the profession. So, so I think a combination of that, that inner drive and motivation to really, you know, move forward for myself and also for the profession, but also to kind of be like, you know, this is not this is a step to start. And from here, there's many other things that I can do in nursing. So having those early examples, and I think also having good mentors, I think from mm. an early, from even from that early time in the community college, you know, I had nursing mentors. I had even the lawyer of the school was as a mentor, you know, many other people that were in the school that served as mentors and that you know, served as examples and motivation to, to move forward. So it was very clear but to me that by the time I, fi I was finishing my associate degree, I was going to go in to do a bachelor's. Now, what was the right path of like, oh, there was a BSN to PH to, to BSRN to BSN program. Great. How do I get into that? So looking into those type of bridge programs was also critical and having the right mentorship was important. Uh, that's um, now you mentioned you mentioned uh, you had mentors uh, now were these individuals that you you sought sought them out and said 
Was this a formal relationship or an informal relationship or role models? Just trying to clarify because I know nurses, for whatever reason, sometimes it feels like they're, they don't go and seek mentorship. It sort of falls into their lap <laughs> sometimes. So was, this, so was this a purposeful thing or you just happen to have good examples around you? So it, that's a, such a great question. And, you know, and I think it would be a combination of two things. I think that, um, you know, for people that know me, they know that I'm not shy about asking everyone, anyone to mentor me. So I was, <laughs> you know, I had that as being purposeful about it. And I think part of that came also from, you know, the example I had from my dad, you know, where he always inculcated that idea that, you know, we were we were part of a, of a big, of a bigger thing and we needed people to, to bring us and elevate us. So I think having Mm. those early conversations were very important, but I think it was also what you just said about, you know, there were so many formal discussions. And now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, Oh, but these were like, what this so called like mentoring meetings. I just never didn't really necessarily have a name for it at that particular point in time. To just say, oh, that was a mentoring meeting. But they were just a combination of the two. And there was also great role models that, you know, came, you know, along the path. So I think that just being able to um, realize at some point the role that these individuals play in your your life and your career development, it, it, you know, it's important. Yeah, there's a... Um, there, there's a there's a speaker and his name is not coming to me right now, but he calls them um, he calls them parachute packers, like people who pack your parachute for you. So later down down the line, if you need to jump out of a plane, your parachute is there to slowly help you come down to earth. So uh, so that's a, that's you know uh, it's uh, our lives are kind of filled with them. So that's something that's a great. Uh, that's a great way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you choose your path to uh, to becoming a family nurse, family nurse practitioner? And how did you eventually make your way into like research? That's, that's another fabulous question. So, you know, I think along the same path and thought that I just shared with you that, you know, I wanted to always continue to move on in my education and sort of be at a place where I can contribute and help the patients to the best of my abilities. So working clinically as a bedside nurse, I saw like, oh, okay, you know, if I do this, as I become a family nurse practitioner, and and I chose to become a family nurse practitioner intentionally because for me it was like, oh, I can care for the whole person and Mm. their family. And that, again, was so important to me in terms of like, you know, if I am able to see, you know, their kids and the mother and their grandmother, I can have that continuum of care and I can assess what are the family dynamics. Yeah. You know, I also like the idea that as, as nurse practitioners, we spend, you know, a lot of time with the patients. We have that, you know, that nursing lens that kind of allows us to kind of have that extra gut feeling, I would say. Yeah. So... You know, so to, for me, that was very important. In terms of, like, research, I always loved research. You know, I think I, even as a high school student, I always loved research. I think I date back my research days to, like, working with, with rats, giving them, uh-huh. like, you know, at, in high school, just giving them different elements to know, like, mercury. And, you know, because we had a big mercury issue um, back in Venezuela at some point, and I wanted to understand how mercury in water um, you know, what, what were the effects of that in, in the body? And we were using animal models at that point. I was like probably 14, 15 years old. Oh, wow. But, um, you know, and I, and I think that it was, um, you know, when I went to do my BSN and at that point they introduced research again, it was like that light, that light bulb went on. And I said, I love this. You know, I, I for a minute there, because in, as you know, in the curriculum for the, um, you know, associate degree program, there's not a lot of research embedded in it. Right. And, and, you know, and I'm hopeful that that has changed from the time, from those days to today. 
but um you know and i and you know and it's unfortunate i i i felt like maybe even having a little bit of research experience then you know will have probably you know even ignited me to do this a little bit faster or or sooner not that um you know i'm late on like on my research trajectory but um it was that at that bsn program it was like oh i like statistics i really like this and i really like research so now as since i was doing my bsn and working clinically i got involved in you know the research committee at the hospital Mm. you know doing key you know qa and qi projects and you know i was that nurse that would be coming on their day off like measuring (laughs) wounds and things like that you know different you know and to me just being able to be engaged and that was exciting to me so it wasn't like a sure like oh i'm just going on my day off i really wanted to be off so i can do research yeah so you know and i think that it was very clear also to the leadership at the hospital that this was something that i was passionate about and you know they were very supportive um and you know and they had like for example like the research week whenever we had you know nurses week and research week you know they would invite speakers and i remember one year they invited dr patricia grady the former director of ninr and i was like who is this person? And wait, they have a whole nursing institute? There's a whole entire place where nurses just do research? And it was just super exciting. But so that, as I think back on that experience, just hearing a talk by a nurse scientist and hearing the, an additional dimension that I was not aware of, you know, from my lens that I was in, my little lens that I was in, it was completely eye-opening so and i think that couple with a few other things really shifted my you know my trajectory one important aspect was while i was in the fmp program and at least there was also like research opportunities so as you can probably imagine i was that person signing up (laughs) i said oh we can do research oh i can be a research assistant on this not like i you know, I had my patients in the hospital. I was doing an FMP program, but I was still signing up to do a, become a research assistant. And, um, you know, I think the faculty was very supportive. And, I th- and, you know, while I was towards the end of my FMP, they were like, you should consider a PhD. And I was like, oh, wow. Um, yeah, that sounds like a great idea, but <laughs> I want to work first and do this and that. And, you know, and then I kind of figured, okay, I'll apply. And if I get in, then that's a sign that this is the right thing to do. But, you know, and and it was just also getting the mentors from like both, like, you know, at that time from the associate degree program, from the bachelor's program, from the FMP program, and who really helped sort of like say, okay, these are the things that you need to consider go as you are applying for a PhD program. So just things that I never even thought about, like where are you going to live? You know, you have to leave your job for a number of years. You, you know, how is all of that going to impact? So it went things down to like even how much taxes do you have to pay per, in each city? You know, it was like little <laughs> right, things right. like that, that I personally, and, you know, being, um, you know, my, my parents, although they're professionals, they're, you know, they don't have a PhD. So I didn't have that direct example in my family. So there were questions that I didn't know that I needed to ask or consider. You know, it wasn't like, oh, just sign up and do a PhD. It was more of like, oh, this is going to be a life-changing decision. Right. You know? right. Yeah, I was, uh, I wish I had some of those mentors <laughs> that kind of helped you along just because there are there is so much there's so many unknowns when you go into something or some people avoid the whole uh like maybe masters or phd because there are so many unknowns uh so i think it's helpful for for uh for the for us as a profession to just be more open about how to get into things and there's there are there are people around but i don't think there's enough of us around to really educate nursing overall on different pathways. What are the things to expect? So 
Uh, like for example, for myself, uh, a postdoc is out of the question. I'm mm-hmm. wife, family. Uh, so after my PhD, I knew I couldn't do a postdoc because couldn't afford to do a postdoc, mm-hmm. right? Couldn't leave, mm-hmm. own a home, all that good stuff. So I think it's important for people to realize, uh, you know, what are the uh, how they can do things and how they can still continue to move forward with their careers even though some avenues may be closed to them. So what are other pathways? Because not everybody does a postdoc. So uh, I think it's... Uh, and that's actually... And I, and I totally agree with you. I think that, um, you know, it's, it's like making those decisions. It's not easy for everyone. Like, you know, when I went into my PhD program, I didn't have a family, Yeah. right? I, you know, my responsibilities, I didn't have like an immediate family, kids and things, but I, you know, I had all the responsibilities I had to consider. Yeah, so I knew true. I couldn't move within a certain radius, right? So I had to like also make those type of decisions, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, early on my PhD program, you know, you, you know, I heard like, you know, it's so important to do a postdoc and do a postdoc. So it was kind of, okay, I need to do a postdoc, but I didn't, I didn't have to think about like oh you know if i had kids and like a husband and things like that right at that particular time point in time so i completely agree with you is not everyone can do it but there's other ways in which we can maybe brainstorm and develop other types of programs that can help people that cannot do you know two years three years five years postdocs yeah yeah, that's, I mean, that that's, you know, that's something that I'm, I'm hoping one of the things that came out of this whole pandemic is hopefully looking at some university of how they can reimagine postdoc work because, you know, nursing overall kind of gets into like master's and PhD work kind of later in our careers. We're not like a chemistry majors where they go straight into a PhD program you know, right after another type of a, you know education. We we do some time and then we do go back to school. We do some more time. We go back to school. Uh, so it's interesting. And again, one of the things I'm hoping that universities will take a look at and reimagine uh, is how can we do postdocs, maybe not lab, inside lab work postdocs, but other types of postdocs that can be distance you know it's, uh, the, it's the whole idea of like there's different ways of knowing and there's yeah. also different ways of learning and you Absolutely. know as technology continues to emerge and you know we continue to see you know i think it's going to take um, some evaluations of like how this pandemic has changed the way we have done a lot of different things and maybe yeah. as you said like maybe there's an opportunity here to rethink of the, you know, or be innovative right. On, on, right. The, on the ways that we integrate. And maybe it will even create opportunity to, you know, long distance, you know, mentoring and, and yeah. post-dockings and, you know, things like that. And Yeah, I mean, I mean, especially like something like mentoring, it's so doable to be able to do a distance. I have a couple of, you know, I have, I like to think I have at least a dozen mentors around the world and I have no issues just, you know, talking to them over over like Zoom or something like that if I just need to talk to them. Uh, so I think I, I think it, it is we really need to rethink the whole structure and especially for Ph.D. work and research work, because so much collaboration can occur through distance versus what's inside of a lab or what's inside of a school. Uh, so I think there's great opportunities for us to do a lot of great work. Absolutely. Um, so thank you. Um, now, I know you're doing, you are, uh, I want to talk about your, your current work and your current position a bit. Uh, so uh, can you just share with us, like, what is your role currently? And, and what does that mean from a, from a nursing scientist perspective? Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned in my bio, so I'm, I'm Alaska Clinical Research Scholar. So I'm on the tenure track. So this is, um, you know, pretty much like it's similar to an academic position so but we don't have like a teaching component um so my i pretty much do if anything like 100 percent research and mentoring and so a nor a typical day is pretty much um you know papers being in the lab 
you know, mentoring fellows towards like their, you know, their grad programs. Um, just thinking about different ideas and research meeting with collaborators. And in, in terms, I mean, as I don't know if I mentioned, no, I did not mention during this discussion, but a lot of my work is really focused on, you know, I study taste and smell. And so I study chemo sensation. And for me, that's, I, you know, as someone that have always gone on that route that's a little bit different, you know, it's one area that I was very, very interested in um, because from a nursing perspective, because it was influenced by my patients. It was influenced by reports that, you know, my patients in the metabolic unit after they were having bariatric surgery, they were reporting things like, you know, my food doesn't taste the same anymore, mm. you know, and, and it was kind of like having those reports that sort of ignited that, you know, that interest in me of like, why are these individuals, it's not one, it's not two, it's several of them having this report, you know, and at that time, I didn't know much about, oh, there's a whole area on taste research. But one thing that I knew is like, you know, as nurses, we... You know, we are involved in so many aspects of the patient care, you know, including, you know, how, you know, nutrition. So for me, it was like, how am I going to counsel this patient on when they're having, when they're telling me that things are not tasting the same? So, you know, fast forward, I decided to do a PhD that was going to be with an aspects of obesity and, and, and nutrition. And then I learned that there was the Monell Chemical Sensor Center. And I said, oh, this is great. There's a whole entire discipline of like learning taste and smell and all of this. And I said, you know, and I think till today, I'm still one of like, if not the only nurse trained in how to do psychophysical testing and on this whole area of taste and smell. And I hope that I'm, you know, this during this recording that I'm, not going to be the last, the first and last that I'm going to motivate more people. And I think we, we will see more nurses in, in, in interested in this as they're having more and more patients, you know, reporting this taste and smell loss when COVID, you know, we still don't know much about what's going to happen with long holders. Right. right? And what, how is that going to impact their nutrition? You know, there yeah. are, are adherence to certain medications that taste really bitter. Right. You know, things so, you know, and if we think about it, you know, even from the time that, you know, when we have a very sick baby in the ice in the NICU, you know, one of the things that we often give them is sweeties, right, to be able to cope and help with the pain. But there is, you know, there's a science behind this whole thing regarding taste and how taste develops in kids and, you know, why this is important for pain. So it was very clear to me that nurses have a role in this type of research. And, you know, I, and I wanted to be involved in this, in this work. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, as you're talking about this, you know, when I, and I, when I first uh, uh, looked you up and I read the work that you were doing, um, it, it, that, one of the things that, that struck me, uh, again, and I think I, I'm amazed every time I speak to one of my guests about the work that they do, because it's it tends to be work that you don't stereotypically think of nurses doing, right? Like if I said, oh, there's a nurse uh, who is doing taste and smell research, they would like, I think most people would say why, right? Or what are they doing? What is a nurse doing in that role? So uh, I, I always love hearing how nurses ha are taking their nursing perspective. And this is what I, one thing I always, I, I tell, I've told my students or I've told other, uh, and I've also told other people is what is, what is nursing research? I just say it's whatever research you want to do is, but you, you, you put in that nursing perspective or that nursing lens. It's from a nursing lens, right? Uh, is kind of what we're looking at. We take our experiences as nurses. We take our experiences as uh, as uh, professionals uh, in, in our environment, and we look at things. Research is research, except we're we're going at it from a different focus than somebody who may be uh, from another from another discipline, or a physician, or as you know, a chemist, or whatever the case may be. 
you know, it's, it's, I'm smiling as you were asking those questions of like, why is a nurse doing that type of work? Because yeah. <laughs> I, I heard it many, many times. I'm sure you did. <laughs> you know? So, it, but you know, and I think it's just kind of articulating that perspective of like, right. you know, I said like, I worked, for example, in a nursing home at some point in my career. And, you know, and I, and I think back of that experiences that I had just, you know, giving medication to a lot of my patients. And, you know, and I remember like sometimes you would mix the medication in applesauce for like people to take and they would spit it out and you like, and then I was like, but why? But now it makes sense to me, you know, as you age, you're losing taste buds, things, you know, like your sensitivity changes. Right. And then. You know, most of the meds that we take are quite bitter. Yeah. So if yeah. we think of like, you know, a nurse understands that adherence to medication and the importance of adhering to medication. But if an individual cannot take it for some of these reasons, it has a huge impact on health and health outcomes. And, you know, so it's, it sounds like it's a distant relationship but when you think of like the impact of the science you know of the science behind it you can say oh wow yeah there's something to this and i want to learn more and you know there's a there's a reason behind the formulation of certain foods right like right right you know like being more palatable and things like that so i think that you know it's different type of research but i think i mean i would argue that it's very important yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, uh, even, you know, you know, I, I share a lot of these podcasts with my students uh, and uh, I, I have them do a reflective writing. And with almost every single podcast they listen to, uh, one of the comments I, I tend to get on a regular basis, like I never knew nurses did that. Right. So so I think it's important that we uh, that we we address, you know, kind of the work of nursing and we make it more. Um, we, uh, we we talk about it more and we, we expose uh, nurses to more of this work. So I think it's important. Um, now, I have a, you know, you, you sort of had a natural draw to, um, to, to, to research. Mm-hmm. Uh, and looking at some of my own research, research classes, um, like as an undergraduate, I never imagined myself doing research some of my students, when I ask them, they will say they will say they will never ever do research. How do we get more? Uh, and if you look at it, even from a doctoral perspective, right? Uh, even though we've had we've had a growth in doctoral prepared nurses, PhD has fairly has been fairly flat in the growth of the number of PhD prepared nurses. How do we get more nurses interested in research? In your opinion? So, you know, that's, again, I think you're asking so many fabulous questions and things that I have <laughs> thought about, you know, and, but I think I will, I will argue that and go back to one of the comments I made earlier, early exposure. Mm. I think having that early exposure, it's critical. And I wish that I had had that in my associate degree program, you know, and I, as I said, like, I mean, I had that exposure in high school back home, but I think that is, that is important that we think, uh, you know, early in the pipeline. I know we always talked about this early in the pipeline type of um, discussions, but it, it is important. Can we start early at exposing people, not only to research, but what nurses do? You know, yes, nurses can do, because going back to the questions that the, the comment that your students put, like, I didn't know nurses can do that. You know, so it, it speaks to like, you know, there is maybe we need more visibility as to what nurse scientists are able to do and are doing. That's why podcasts like the one that you are hosting right now, it's so important because, you know, it's a way to reach to the mass. And people can learn what it is that, that we do. But I think that early exposure, early mentoring, it's critical. I think being purposeful about it, it's important. You know, so just really committing to saying, okay, you know, I'm going to give 
X number of talks, but at least this number of talks needs to be at a high school, at a community college. At least that's the way that I think about it every year when I'm planning is to make sure that I'm intentional and purposeful about that. And, you know, because we can go down, you know, a, a, a role of like, oh, I'm giving all of these talks and in these places. And, you know, and it's like, for me, it's like, it's critical for me to remember where I came from and my background and knowing the things that will have made a difference for me. And even taking the time to be open, even on LinkedIn, and say, I'm open to just to mentoring and to answering any questions that you might have, you know, and, and that's why, like, you know, just being very transparent about my beginnings, it's important because I think that it can inspire people into seeing themselves in these type of roles. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's, that's a great that's a great point. Um, and as as you're talking about this, and one of the um, one of the committees I sit on uh, at my university, uh, which just started up not too long ago, uh, is looking at diversity within the university and how do we get, um, for example, more underrepresented underrepresented students uh, within within the community and for higher education. And as you're talking about this, um, how do we, uh, I mean, other than early exposure, how do we uh, like look at nursing as a profession and also looking at the higher education and nursing research? How do we get more uh, of the community that is really uh, not in the STEM fields or we have underrepresentation in the STEM fields or underrepresentation in in research how do we get them um to apply to these programs and actually be successful what's the secret to that i, I wish i had that a great answer <laughs> for this and i think it's such an important thing i mean you know I, I i agree with you we need to go beyond the early representation and i'm also thinking of looking at the structural barriers that are mm. preventing people right yeah. because you know i can tell you as an immigrant that i am there were things that i had to think about that might be very different you know that you know there are circumstances that we find ourselves in that become difficult and barriers you know making decisions as to even which school do you decide to go because of financial you know reasons right but i think it's also like i always say this that you know one one um creator of disparities is the lack of knowledge and education not necessarily in, in the sense that lack of awareness that certain programs exist so I think it's important to also um, share, you know, and highlight like, oh, you know, there's this, I'm just using this as an example, not sure if it's true, but, you know, there's a, this program where when there's a scholarship for this, or there's a program that is like an RN to BSN and PhD program and just sharing within the community. You know, I always say that I will feel happy and realize one day if my work gets published in the Metro paper, you know, like, you know, where you can just, because it reaches so many people. Right. So I think if we're able to um, penetrate and, and disseminate and highlight our work in this type of medium, you know, we have to meet people where they are. Yeah, absolutely. And we need yeah. to go into the communities we, you know, I think it's, um, you know, I'm part of the National Hispanic Nurses Association. And since I was a student in New York, and one of the things that was amazing was the fact that, you know, we will go to the community to do community services. So, you know, we will be there, we will talk to the people, we, we will engage with them. And, you know, you never know what that five minutes could make a huge impact on someone but I think it's just like we need to go beyond 
the traditional media mediums of sharing, you know, the, the opportunities that we have, you know, so, you know, whatever magazines people read, you know, even if it's being creative and creating a TikTok, because, you know, you're going to reach a specific demographic with that, you know, like, I think that it, that is so important and not, not because we're speaking on this podcast, but I think, you know, podcast reaches out specific demographics. And I think that that in exposure in itself is, it's important. You know, there's yeah. someone that would listen to this that will say, oh, guess what? There are these opportunities that this person spoke about in this podcast that are, you know, that you might think about. So that is one of the things that, one of the, also the reasons why I chose to also be where I am and where I work is because you know, I want to be able to also share, you know, we have summer programs, you know, this is an opportunity you can do, you know, summer programs, post-bac programs, and, you know, for, for students that might be indecisive of what they want to do in the next path. But yeah. how will you know that you want to do that if you don't know that they exist? Yeah. And I think, yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. Um, and it has to do with, you know, sometimes, you know, and I've said this before is what we value as a profession and I think we need to reevaluate what we value as a profession from the perspective of how are we disseminating information because most of the time we end up publishing behind paywalls uh, for nurses like it's like by nurses for nurses and nobody else ever gets to see it right uh, so so how like how much work are we doing that nobody is aware of and um, it, it's sort of like almost feels very secretive at times. So that's why I'm, I, I, I love open access journals. I love when I see nursing content in like newspapers and in social media and uh, all of those. So uh, I, I enjoy seeing it and I like sharing those things. And um, so I think we need to really reevaluate how we disseminate information. Uh, I think the impact would be so much bigger if we were disseminating information to a broader audience than usually what we do as nursing, right? Yeah, and I mm. think I want to see, and I and I want to see more nurses on TV, you know, giving expert oh, yeah. opinions, you know, and yeah. you know, just I I think that is so important, just like communication, dissemination of what we know and how we do what we do and what influences our you know practice yeah. it's it's so important and what a better time than now you know i think covid has created a platform where i don't think there's a person in the world that don't know what you know the impact that nurses have had in covid you know of how many nurses have been affected it's been so at the at the forefront of so many people and i think that you know it's it's an it's an opportunity to to just be out there and just and say you know I'm a nurse and this is what we do and do you want to learn more about it right right um, so like I said it's it's uh, we have a lot of work to do we have we definitely have a lot of work to do uh, now I'm going to ask uh, I have one more one more question for you and and then I, I'm going to ask if you have anything else you want to share but my ask of you is if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking about nursing research um, and, you know, uh, looking at your career and saying, I want to be like her, <laughs> uh, what would your advice to them be? Like, how do they get started? Reach out, you know, ask questions. Um, don't be afraid to, to ask people to mentor you. Mm. Um, you know, you at some point in the in your trajectory you will hear there's mentors and there's sponsors yes. and you know you would learn the difference between that but as, you know getting developing a, a circle and a network of mentors and and you know there are people and also understanding it's not always going to be about career there will be mentors that will help you navigate you know personal things and then kind of like you know how that might you might create some sort of how do you create harmony when everything else is happening in your life um yes also understanding that there's no rush 
you know, just, just do what you love, what you're passionate about. You know, one great thing about, about science is that you're always learning and just giving your, giving yourself the opportunity to learn, to explore, to ask questions. And I know that it might sound intimidating at first to just like, how do I reach out to someone? But, you know, we have some platforms like some, you know, whether it's Twitter or social media, you know, DM someone and, you know, introduce yourself and say, you know, I'm a student here and, you know, I just listen to your to the podcast. And, you know, I want to just learn more about your work and like I want to learn more about your trajectory maybe there were things that you didn't say you know oh even like the idea of like you know I just for um disclosure like I'm an Afro-Latina so I'm black and Latina navigating a scientific enterprise you know and the clinical world you know how you know what is diversity and you know, how, what are some of the challenges you faced? You know, all of these questions are important to ask. And I think being, for me personally, I think being honest about the process and the trend and, and some of the hardships, because I think I've been talking and it all sounds like, oh, it's been perfect and great, right? But it's not, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's, it's not like that. You know, there are bumps in the road you know, they are good mentors and there might be some that are more challenging. Um, and it says, how do you navigate that? How do, you know, it's, it's different things that are very important to discuss. So if, if you're listening to this podcast and, and this is something you're considering, you know, don't, re- don't hesitate, hesitate to reach out at least to me or to other people that you admire their trajectory do informational interviews. You know, there's such thing as informational interviews. So just, you say, you know, I have a couple questions. Look them up and say, you know, I saw that you were doing this. I want to know more about that. And for the most part, I think most people will say yes, even if it's not right away, um, you know, because of time constraints, but they will, they will schedule something to talk to you. And now when zoom and all of these (laughs) platforms we have more opportunity to interact across the world so you know i think this this is a great opportunity and i'm so happy you're doing this yeah thank you thank you so much um so like i said uh uh i I love the idea uh, of the informational interviews because i was you know uh again with with my going back on my advice uh, uh, bandwagon that I jump on every once in a while. Uh, I would say, worst case scenario, you're back where you started. If somebody says no to you, then you're still at the same point you were before. If somebody says yes, that then you have a yes, you have that opportunity. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I completely agree. Uh, so thank you so much. And I'm going to ask, uh, anything else you want to share, uh, about yourself, about your work? Um, well, I think you asked so many great questions. Um, I think like my my last bit of advice is, you know, take your time. And, you know, there's not a marathon. Um, remain humble. Remember, um, you know, where you started. And, and I think that all of these things just, you know, things will come together. Everything happens in my perspective for a reason. And things come together in, in, in a way. Sometimes we're looking at, a, at ourselves in this point in time and things might look very dark. Um, but, you know, there, there's, there's a light at the end of, of these dark days. And the other thing that I, I always like to end with is the importance of mental health. Yes. You know, none of this is possible if we don't take care of ourselves. And if we don't ask for help. And I think that, um, you know, we need to normalize, you know, the, the idea of asking for help when it comes to our mental health. Just the way that we go to the doctor for a yearly physical, I think we can, you know, take a time to, to do um, things towards our mental health. And, 
you know, this is very stressful. It's not a, you know, it could be very stressful. And during, while you're doing, you know, for example, if you, dis, whatever program you decide, life happens. So getting additional tools to help us deal when life happens, it's important. Absolutely. So, you know, so getting help, you know, having a coach, um, you know, reaching out to, to a support network, it, it's very critical. So mental health is something that doesn't need to be neglected in this trajectory. That's fantastic. Fantastic advice. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Joseph, thank you so much for being on the show. I greatly appreciate uh, you sharing this time with us. I know you're super busy. Uh, so I greatly appreciate you being here, uh, and, uh, I look forward to, uh, watching your career, you know, even take off more because you're, you're doing incredible work and you're, uh, and, uh, I'm, I admire the work that you're doing. So that's all I can say. So thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. No, thank you. You, um, I'm so grateful that you invited me and I hope that to the many listeners, you know, continue to listen to the podcast and thank you so, so much. I have to put a plug out for the podcast, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. We have been listening to Dr. Polly Joseph uh, and uh, I look forward to uh, uh, seeing you back here very soon. Thank you very much. I have a great rest of your week. You've been listening to the RN Mentor with your host, Ali Taya. Please don't forget to visit www.aliartayeb.com. That's www.aliartayeb.com for podcast notes and resources. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I wish you fair winds and following seas.